What's going on, everyone, and welcome back to the NerdWide Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Haynes, with my good friend and good creep show co-host, Mr. Chris Rivers. Now, Chris, there's something behind you. Are you okay? Blink twice if you need me. No, he and I are buds. So. Oh, so listen, uh, for ever, the audio listeners, Chris has got the creep show, um, what do they call it, movie poster behind him. Yeah. And so this weekend we watched Creep Show, obviously, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But Stella watched it with us, and she wasn't scared of. I don't think any of. It. We tried to tell her, "Hey, don't watch." You know, we distract her, do something different. But like she saw, like the I don't know what you call the guy from the very beginning, from the opening uh, skit. The creeper. The creeper. And she said, "Oh, she says it's it's not Halloween anymore, Daddy." I said, yeah, "That's right, Stella." She said, it's not scary. It's okay. I said, all right. Well, you know, I guess I'll be the only one in the house that thinks this way. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> quick housekeeping before we jump into everything. Don't forget to subscribe to either our YouTube or podcasting service of your choice. If you enjoy the show, make sure you leave us a thumbs up on YouTube or give us a good rating on whatever podcasting app you do use. If you don't enjoy the show or what you see or hear, make sure you leave us a comment down below. Let us know how we can improve the show for you. Don't know how to improve the show. If you don't, let us know what's wrong. If you want to go the extra mile, you can always go to patreon.com slash nerdwide. Three different tiers for three different monetary values, each one increasing in monetary value. Uh, of course, once you get the highest tier, there's a lot more things you get from us. So, that all being said, Chris, how has your week been? Week. <laughs> uh, no, it's been overtime every night. Oh. And uh, overtime yesterday. I actually got out of it today because my boss was there anyway and just messaged me and was like i'll close it up don't worry about it oh awesome yeah so i had one day off this week Mm -mm. i had so i watched a lot of shows and stuff like that the reason being is because my co-worker was off so i had a quiet office but i also worked a lot more because there was uh just two of us three of us so i worked a lot more but i watched a lot of things and I'm really excited to talk about those things uh, because both things that I watched uh, were great. Um, well, three things I watched. So hopefully going forward, I can still do that just a bit at a slower pace than that. Um, but not a bad week. Halloween was fine. Stella and I passed out. Zoe, of course, went, my oldest daughter went to a party and with some of her friends and watched some scary movies that night. We went trick-or-treating, handed out some candy at first, and then went trick-or-treating. Stella loved it up until it started pouring down rain on us. And she would go, she was a werewolf and she would go up to the, the, each house, like after it started raining, she said, I'm a wet werewolf. I was just go, okay, all right, kid, you're too cute for your own good. But like we hit like eight or nine houses. It's just, it's a lot of fun. I think next year is we're going to start because you know, we have the Haynes annual Christmas party, the Halloween party, not Christmas. Um, and then we do, we'll go trick or treating. I think next year we're going to do a costume for each and have like a family costume for when we go trick or treating. And I'm pretty excited for this next one. I'll tell you off camera just in case, uh, it becomes our main thing. So we'll see, but I'm really excited. Halloween was good. Now we're on a Thanksgiving and Christmas, the last end in the year. And it's just always fun. We had what daylight savings last night. Not a, not a fan of that. I mean, it's dark outside. So whatever. But you know what I did like, Chris? Our TV show we watched this week. You're damn right. We watched two, technically. But Chris, I want to know, did you watch anything else during this overtime week of yours? Not 
not anything of note, no. Mm. Well, let me tell you. I watched two different TV shows, both of which I put off. One I put off longer than the other, but I'll start with that one, Mythic Quest. Uh, I know a couple maybe shows months ago I said I was starting it. I started it, got to like episode two or three, and just got distracted with something else we were watching and fell off the wagon off it. But I came back on, watched all two seasons in like two days. And let me, it is in my top 10 favorite TV shows of all time, Mythic Quest is, which is really exciting. I didn't realize, I didn't mean for me to watch it this week because this week coming up, the fourth season drop, well, the third season drops. I, didn't, I wasn't expecting that. So when I saw that on the docket this morning, I said, oh, okay. <laughs> did not mean for that to happen. Glad it did. But so I can start watching that. It'll be episode by episode. But the other one we've talked about on the show as well, Reacher. With Alan Richardson. That is a, a banging ass show. I'm just going to flat out say it. It is a phenomenal show. It's going to be Hawk to me. I know. Well, it's He's always Aquaman or a Thad Castle. I can't get past it. But he he is the buffest and biggest I've ever seen this man in my life. Really? And uh, man, he's really, really good in this. And I can't wait for season two because it's just going to be even better. And, uh, I, I advise everyone to watch both of those shows. But... That's wild, too, because you would think that he would have buffed up more for the superhero stuff. Right. Uh, than Reacher. But he, he was huge. Like, I don't think there was any fat on him. And like, he was you just a big dude. You would have think they would have wanted him to have lean muscle for Reacher. Right. Because, I don't know. I, Apparently in the books, he's like a ginormous hulk of a man. And I guess he wanted to do it justice and not be Tom Cruise. And he did, so... Yes, that was a Tom Cruise uh, Reacher jab. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, let's get to what you're here for. One of our favorite shows is back. Titans Season 4. Two episodes dropped, so we're going to go through and recap the first one and recap the second one. Um, we'll stop after each one, obviously, and talk about our thoughts and what we enjoyed about it. And man, the first one was a banger. I mean, everything that we've seen from the teases and the trailers pretty much was the first two episodes, if not just the first episode. And like now I'm like, I don't know what happens next. Do, I mean, full on spoilers for those who don't know who haven't done this or recast with us before, but I'm pretty sure we're going to get Superman at the end of this season, right? There's just no way. So the question would be, are they going to link it to Superman mm, and Lois? That's the question. Because remind me of the name of the actor playing Connor. Oh, I don't remember his name. Okay. He's favored. <laughs> he, he has a close enough resemblance to Tyler Hecklin mm-hmm. that they could make that work. Um, but. A Joshua Orpin. Joshua Orpin. What else have we seen him in? Oh, he was in Preacher um, with, what's his name? But then again, you know, Cavill's doing more Superman stuff. Does Cavill show up? Right. Do we get, does James Gunn say like, oh, well, no, they're done filming it now. So I don't know what happens. But that was my question when they kept name dropping Superman. We're going to meet Superman. I'm like, no, there's no way they're going to put him in the first episode. That's titled Lex Luthor. There's no way. But speaking of, we're going to TheReviewGeek.com, and this these recaps are by Greg Wheeler. We're going to try his recaps out this season, and so far from what I've been reading, I like it. 
Uh, episode 1 of Titans Season 4 picks up with Dick Grayson and Corey discussing how lucky they were to make it out of Season 3. The latter feels free and, and like a weight has been lifted from her. They saved Gotham and now they're the toughest test of their life. Uh, hitting a high score in bowling. Bruce phones, though, and has sorted out a, a visit to Metropolis so Connor can meet his father, Clark Kent. They're in route to Star Labs, but Bruce Brosses... Bruce promises some surprises along the way. As he does, Lex Luthor begins to stir in the shadows, intent on becoming far more powerful than Superman and dabbling in some pretty sketchy cultist dealings. The gang arrives in Metropolis and heads to Star Labs, where they meet Bernard Fitzmartin, the guy spearheading things and in charge of special projects. They've been expecting the Titans, but Connor and Dick are forced to hang back while the others are led in deeper into the lab. Bernard has some bad news. Superman is not there. He has left a note, though, apologizing and wanting to meet Connor in the future. Bernard uh, has been using Star Labs to test Superman's powers, and with AR goggles on, they see Superman moving through the space in real time, heading to Q4, where he intends to try and save an entire galaxy from devastation. Meanwhile, the rest of the Titans help out, with Tim offering some uh, training, training while the gang's transport is given an upgrade, including a brand new car courtesy of Bruce Wayne. Suddenly, though, all the electrics go haywire, it's Lex Luthor, who wants to see Connor and the others at LexCorp. Dick once, uh, warns that Lex Luthor is dangerous and should not be trusted. He's the only person Bruce Wayne is truly afraid of. Um, they, he forgot to mention here in this recap that while... Um, Beast Boy gets his official suit with the gloves and everything. He blacks out and tears apart an entire lab, turning into a gorilla, a velociraptor, and that just kept that kind of trailed off after that. But while watching this episode, what I really enjoyed about that part of it was nobody was freaking out and was treating Gar like an animal or like a, a, a villain or anything. They were all like, hey, man, you, you freaked out. Everything okay? And he said, I don't remember any of that. And he goes, I don't know what happened. But nobody was hostile towards him. Which I was like, this this shows how how far this team has come from season one. Where they all yeah. would have been at each other's throats for that. But Yeah, exactly. And then during the training sequence, too, you get uh, Starfire testing her power. Right. She blows and, up the hardest substance known to man. And Just, she only used eight percent of her that's scary and i'm so this is like this is what i love about this show is they tie in so many storylines in but it doesn't feel like it's just forced in there like everyone every single person here has a storyline some you know some are more interesting than others but there's still a storyline per each character and i mean they started it off real nicely uh with this one um let's see so naturally, Corey shows up alone, destroys all of Lex's guards without even breaking a sweat. Face to face with Lex Luthor, the latter brings up the power dynamic Corey had with her sister and decides they have a lot to discuss. He agrees to show her around. As they sit and discuss what he wants with Connor, Corey distracts him by using a mini drone to infiltrate the laptop nearby. I think this is one of my favorite scenes of, I know for sure, the first episode. Because it's 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 the camera is focused one hundred percent on Lex, so they're getting ready to eat some dinner, and you see Corey come in the background, presumably from like elevators or something, and starts fighting all of his security and bodyguards, and then he just goes and pours some wine, goes to get some more wine, comes over. There's a fight going on behind him, and he's just acting natural. And then when the fight's over, he just stands up and says, "Hey, we need talking," runs down everything like Lex Luthor does. He goes, "Hey, I know what happened in Gotham." Let's discuss all of it. I'm like, oh, this this guy. You know, it's it's 100% Lex Luthor. 
great performance from Titus Welliver. Mm-hmm. Great I, performance. He's phenomenal. And hopefully he's back. Yeah, hopefully it's not a one-and-done episode. Um, Lex tells Core that he wants Connor to stick around, offering his guidance and power to take over LexCorp. Uh, Corey sees through this facade and believes that he's just trying to control Connor and use him as a personal weapon. Interestingly, interesting though, Lex looks through his telescope and notices Dick Grayson and knows exactly what's going on. He says, remember Richard, this is me being gentle. He says, as a whole operation of ninjas come tumbling down through the, the floor, he knows Dick Grayson is listening from afar. Then a whole bunch of ninjas show up and attack Dick and Tim. Tim hangs back and tries to find an open jump in and eventually does, helping to defeat the foes. Very cool fight scene. Again, this is one of those teases that they show during uh, one of the weeks that they do and promotions for that. Uh, Tim, though, this whole first part of the season, I was discussing with Jamie when we were watching it. I understand having him in the show but he should be back in the RV because he is nowhere fit to be doing any of this kind of stuff. Which, for this scene, he didn't know that ninjas were going to come and attack them and things like that. But I don't think he's ready to be in the field at all. And that comes on later in episode two. I'm like, why Why wouldn't you all just have him stick around? Because you, I know you want him to get experience out there. But yeah, this is really dangerous stuff going on. But what do I know? Things where they're either going to have him accidentally cause something horrible mm-hmm. by not being experienced, or he's accidentally going to save the day in a big way. Right. One I hope it's the uh, either one. Like I don't. I'm not a big fan of either one of those tropes, but if anything, be the former. But we'll see. Uh, despite coming out unscathed, Dick relays onto Connor what exactly what Lex offered, which includes six months to work with him. Dick implores him not to go for this, but Connor decides to jump in, ultimately with his being his decision. Uh, he's wanting answers around his true purpose and determined to find his parents. Even if it's a big trap where he fails completely, he wants to do this. Dick says, if you leave, it's going to hurt us. He says, I'm sorry, I have to do this, um, as he leaves. When Connor arrives at LexCorp, he learns that Luther is struggling and is actually dying. He's tried to find a cure, but as yet has been unsuccessful. Unsuccessful. Luther goes on to tell Connor to be careful, pointing out that if he makes a mistake, people could well look at him differently. Lex points out he's the only one who doesn't judge him for who he is. Lex created Superboy because he wanted his dream of becoming Superman to become reality. He had a son and he wanted him to succeed where he could not, to be both man and Superman, flirting both of those lines. Connor makes his choice and, is, and decides to stick with Lex. With this cleared up, Lex Luthor brings up a project he's been working on, something he needs help with, which I thought this was like very, okay, sure, you're going to stick around and help out. Let us let me tell you about this project I need help with, which I'm like, okay, this is, this is like our manipulative Lex that we know. Uh, a book on the table includes a number of strange ancient markings and a familiar cultist mask that resembles a bird. Suddenly, Lex Luthor becomes bleeding from the mouth, vomiting all over the floor. Out of his mouth comes a huge snake which tries to bite and kill Connor. Connor uses his power to destroy it while Rachel feels the effects and begins screaming in the RV as well. With Lex Luthor dead, armed guards rush in and immediately suspect Connor of foul play. While he holds his hands up and concedes, downstairs Mrs. Bennett, the woman whom Lex fired earlier in the episode, smiles or retorts that someone always has to pay. 
One thing that this recap did not talk about is Sebastian Blood. We got our first introduction to him because during this whole bleeding out the mouth scene with Raven and Lex Luthor, he was also in his taxidermy office uh, trying to fix a fox that he's taxidermied and blood starts pouring out of its mouth and eye hole and he's just kind of leans back distraught. He goes into the bathroom to clean up. We do the whole... um, Moon Knight thing where there's someone in the mirror and what's really happening are two different people. Uh, we've seen Sebastian, the actual who is Sebastian Blood, covered in head to chin, just all blood, and he gets a creepy little smile and it goes back to normal. And although we didn't get much of Joseph Morgan in this episode, I feel like we, we still set up what's going to come from him a little bit. We get a little bit of a backstory in the second episode. But this one, I was every time that went to him, I, I love Joseph Morgan. So anytime he's on screen, I'm fixated anyways. But I'm like, this he does so well just playing like a misunderstood villain. Yeah. I mean, episode two, we get the two triggers that are oh. gonna push him over the edge. Uh, oh, so good. But but this this first episode was it was such a good one to lay the groundwork for what they're gonna do next. Mm-hmm. Um so, the car was sweet. That, right. That they had added to the RV. And, you know, Dick's very quick to say that Starfire can ride in it, but everyone else is going to have to sign up for turns. Yeah. He said, here's you know. a pin. <laughs> Gar's like, all right, I'm first. <laughs> um, but no, I, we don't know yet what's going on with Gar, the reason he keeps blacking out. Mm-mm. Um. And, you know, they did a nice job in the recap leading into the episode of reminding us that he turned into a bat. Right. Kind of against his will. Yeah, it surprised him um, in the finale last season, which saved Dick's life. Mm -hmm. And we still don't know if Dick's going to suffer any further after effects from being brought back from the dead. That's something so far he hadn't had anything. Like, there's no triggers, there's nothing... Because we know the Lazarus Pit takes something from you. Yeah. And we haven't had any of that yet. So I wonder if they're kind of waiting till later on in the season to to delve into that. Or if just the Sebastian Blood and his acolytes do something to trigger it faster or how it works. But I thought that the whole episode, like, something has to happen. Something's got to give here. But yeah. nothing yet. Yeah. But the, the Lex Luthor death was uh, pretty gruesome. Mm-hmm. You know? If you don't like gore, this is probably not a episode for you. There's a lot of vomiting of blood, snakes coming out of people's mouths. Yeah, like very violently coming out of people's mouths. I was like, okay, yeah. this is yeah. we're going there. But I don't, I don't believe Lex Luthor's dead though. Or if he is, he's coming back somehow, some way. I don't feel like they got Titus for one episode and said, okay, we're done. I can't believe, and, and granted, the Lazarus Pit was in Gotham, but I can't believe that Luthor wouldn't have had some of that water. Right. He's going to have a contingency at some point. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was interesting that we got no... There there was no indication that he had picked up on the part of the Titans' plan to basically uh, hack his computer. Right. I don't think he saw that coming because that's how they got his medical records. And, mm-hmm. Because Dick and Corey told Connor before Connor found out from him. Yeah. And he was like, because there was like, 
I, I was really well done, and I love the writers for doing it this way. It did, did Lex justice for it. it. was because Dick and Corey said, you know, maybe he, he just wants you around so he could find out a way to live longer and use your body or something like that, or use your cells yeah. and everything. And Connor brings it up to Lex. He goes, you think I haven't tr- thought about that? And he says, thought about it, didn't work, I've moved on. And I'm like, yeah. okay. So we, we crossed that. We, it's not a predictable plot line. We're moving on. I didn't realize we were going to kill him off. But... Here we are. They, and kryptonite poisoning they, is what's killing them. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. But they, they thought it was going to be a blood transfusion. Mm-hmm. But they also mentioned organ transfusion. And I'm thinking, okay, how's that going to work? Because right. they can only give up so much stuff. And Yeah, it's... Man, that's what the thought he was growing them for. But, like, he... Because Connor was even like, even if he needs a blood transfusion, he goes, I, you know, I choose that path myself and we'll do it. And I'm like, okay. I like where we're going with this. And I loved the nice little tidbit they gave us with um, Bernard and uh, Dick when Connor put the glasses on at Star Labs. They both kind of looked at him and, like, grinned a little bit. And they, they met eyes for a second. And that was it. He said, what? He said, oh, nothing. I was like, okay. Yeah, he looks like Clark Kent. I love it. <laughs> they also got the uh, – it looks like they might be giving Tim Drake – a little bit of a uh, relationship storyline with Bernard, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, have a little exchange between the two of them, kind of the way Bernard was looking at him. Right. And then he couldn't wait to get a picture of him with his new bow staff. <laughs> he said, I just want to take a picture and send it to him. I just told him, no, I appreciate it. I was like, okay, yeah, you're crushing. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> so, really uh, a solid first episode of the season. They mm-hmm. set up a lot of stuff. And it, I felt like they wrapped things up, but like the things we're still wondering from season three, we are tackling in season four. Um, I love Star Labs. Like when they did the outshot of, well, of just Metropolis as a whole, like when they got to Star Labs and they looked up, you could definitely see uh, Daily Planet up there in the skyscraper. Um, even at the end of this episode, they kind of pan out and you see the, the Luther Corps building. And I was like, this they're building a nice city that we're obviously staying in for this season. And I'm all about it. I just really hope we get uh, a season five. I don't know if we will, but I'm curious about that. So I can't remember if we've heard about this, but I'm really hoping that we cross over with Doom Patrol. Mm. Especially if before they go out, I would love a crossover. Um, I know Stargirl does a crossover with Titans and Doom Patrol. So we'll put a pin in the Stargirl conversation for us for a second and come back to it. But I know for sure they do because the lady that plays star girl was posting pictures with Gar and some of the people from doom patrol. And they said on set in Vancouver. I'm like, "Mm, okay, so we are doing a crossover episode with them. So we will see. Hopefully it's not just a one and done dumb thing, but who knows, you know, prior to James Gunn and Shafran taking over. But we have to go into episode two of Titans. Yes, we did get two episodes. So let's jump right into it. Going right back to ReviewGeek.com for this one. Episode two of Titans starts off with another strange murder. A quiet suburban home is rocked by a masked figure showing up seemingly out of thin air and sporting that same bird mask we saw in episode one. He slaughters the mother and asks for the daughter while the spiritual figure comes from her, but it gets screams ring out before we find out what actually happens to her. Meanwhile, Connor is arrested for the killing of Lex Luthor. He complies and is thrown into the detention center, an ominous green glow hovering over him and keeping his powers in check. 
Dick and Corey show and promise to help him, but Connor is rattled and tells him he's never seen power like that before. Connor has resigned his fate, given he was caught red-handed at the scene, but Corey tries to reassure, reassure him this is far from over. They're going to find evidence to try and free him. Corey and Dick decide to work together to find out what secrets Lex Luthor may be hiding, hoping it leads exactly to what and who killed him. Corey follows a lead up at Lex's mansion, where she finds a guy called Delson Blake, who confirms it's not just Lex Luthor who died that night. In fact, the entire inner circle of Luthor's nearest and dearest also died that night. Blake is the only one left alive who breaks the news that Luther was researching Corey before he changed tack and decided to fight against death himself. Aligning himself with a bunch of different cultists, including an archaeologist woman, potentially Mrs. Bennett, uh, they were messing with things they shouldn't, suddenly Nelson hears strange chanting against dribbling blood out of his mouth. With that, a snake protrudes out of his mouth, and just like Luther, Corey makes short work of it afterwards. Very cool scene. Like There is a lot more to Corey that we than we know about, especially since we you know we talked about it for the first episode. She's only using eight percent of her newfound powers, and I'm sure one hundred percent is what's going to solve and and save the day at the end of the season. But it's just a nice little foreshadowing to it. Um, I think one hundred percent is her sacrificing herself. Will she I, be able to withstand? I'll see. That's a good question. I don't know. And we, we can see him and uh, Dick and uh, Cora getting closer. Again this season, uh-huh. so we'll see. I mean, Donna died and then came back, and then does she die again? She just, no, she's just not there. Oh yeah, she's she just not there. The, she was at the uh, uh, wherever they were when Dick pulled up in the RV. That's they were right. At the airport. Yeah, they were at the airport because she was going to go somewhere else, and um, that's right. Maybe go see um, Dove, but. Rachel and Dick search through LexCorp for clues, specifically the crime scene of figuring out its ties to the cultists we've seen before. Rachel ends up experiencing a vision, which brings them to the same house with the opening scene of the chapter. The radio is still ominously playing in the kitchen, while each of the group split up and look for clues in the house. Dick finds a bloody apple on the floor, while Rachel is the one who uncovers the deceased body of the mom in the kitchen, propped up against the island. The little girl is still alive upstairs in her room, stuck inside of a nightmare. Rachel decides to help and uses her powers to rescue the girl, invading her dreams to do so. It's here we learn that her name is Arya, uh, and Rachel manages to save her from the strange cultists with a bird mask stalking her. We also see a bit more of Sebastian in this episode as well, who heads off for a big gaming pitch, but the men and women there don't seem too enthused with his concept. He gives a pitch about his community-driven game, but his passion doesn't sway them. They smile thinly and tell him it's a competitive market and he's not a good fit. Afterwards, Sebastian experiences visions seeing all the men and women with blood dripping down their faces. Now, this is an isolated incident given we saw him experience the same thing in the last episode, with blood protruding out of the taxidermist's fox's mouth. Which, that wasn't a vision that actually happened because he was cleaning up blood that whole time. Um, speaking of blood, the Titans uncover, uncover a bunch of victims held up in an abandoned warehouse. Thankfully, they're all still alive. Rachel is being attacked by the bird mask wearing man and manages to stop him, but it's not enough. She senses echoes of something still lurking in the shadows, but disappears as quickly as it arrives. Regardless, it seems like enough to get Connor out of prison. Dick Grayson speaks to Arya off the back of this and opens up to her, giving he knows things of two about losing his parents. He talks about Bruce and how time will make her feel better, just like it did with him. Dick hands over his, his jacket to Arya, letting her keep it. 
With Connor off the hook, given the grisly crime scene and police uncovering more of this case, Dick briefs Connor on what they found in the gnarly crime scene. Upon seeing the bodies in the horrible scene, Connor grits his teeth and tells him he never wants to return to Metropolis again. Hilarious, because they've already tried to leave Metropolis like twice now. On their way out, however, they're approached by a sorceress who makes short work of Connor and sends him flying on the road. Rachel, too, is knocked out and she inexplicably loses her powers as well, with a chakra-like gem on her forehead disappearing and her hair turning white. Thankfully, Corey manages to save the day and stops the antagonist who explodes into oblivion. Unfortunately, the cultist shows up with the others in the basement from the first episode. We saw the same one with Luther. They begin chanting, preparing for the next phase of their plan. As they do, their voices echo into Sebastian, who continues to experience hallucinations and is somehow linked to all of this. Great episode. Good little fight scene. And this was what I was talking about earlier with Tim Drake. Like, I would have had him stay in the RV. He's got He's untrained. And all he's got is the bow staff. I'm like, come on. Uh, yeah. What are you going to do here? So, Nothing. <laughs> Chris, how are you feeling going into these two episodes now? And with what, we've got eight episodes left. How are you feeling so far about this season? I'm, I'm, good, I'm good with it. It's, uh, it's one of those where, you know, Two episodes in, how many is it we're getting? Ten. So we got eight left. They're still laying the groundwork. Mm-hmm. We've already covered quite. I feel like a a, a good bit of information and storylines too. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. Uh, but with Mother Mayhem involved, you know, I'm I'm just I'm just looking forward to seeing how some of the things we already have in progress play out and i know they're gonna episode three is probably gonna introduce some whole new questions that, mm-hmm. that we can't even look at obviously as we both just said a while ago surely lex isn't dead right you know surely there's something there you know is it going to be a case where connor uses his dna or his genetic code to bring lex back and Lex ends up with some of Superman's DNA in him because of that, and now they're all linked. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? I, it, it's a fun ride to go on. What's going on with Raven? Yeah, like um, that's I, that's what I'm like after episode two. That's my main question right now, because she got that gem out of the at the end of the first season, uh-huh. and like, with her powers being you're right, and now we're in season four, and she's had it for two seasons. But I'm like, what what happens now? Like, does she still have her powers, or you know, what do we do here? So, yeah, ugh, I can't wait, man. This, this show is so good, and I, I'm ready for the point where we have Doom Patrol and Titans uh, synced up together. Uh, those are just my favorite time of the year when we've got uh, Titans episode and Doom Patrol episode to watch because it's like, will they cross over? Won't they cross over? And it's just completely two different storylines and. Doom Patrol is much more Legends of Tomorrow E, where it's just more, I guess, fun based. Where this one's right. more serious and and good to go. So I, I mean, I can't yeah. wait. Like I, lo- I love this show. There's so much to it. I mean, there's the development of Tim. Mm-hmm. There's what's going on with Gar. There's how's Corey gonna deal with her powers, and is her sister gonna come back and play a role in this? Right. Like, there's so many questions. We don't know if Bruce is gonna have a an impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Or if she just gives him a car and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Does Superman come in to help save the day too? I mean, right. I mean, I'm so. Is it one that we've already seen? Oh God! I, could you imagine? Tyler Hecklin? Is it going to be Henry Cavill? You know. Right. What well, I mean? What's Brandon Roof? Right. Oh. I, mean, I just I can't wait. Like it's it's there's so much they could do. Or do they just go and make their own Superman? I mean they did it with Lex Luthor, the whole new same thing with Bruce Wayne, the whole new Bruce Wayne. And although we've never seen him in the bat suit, who knows? Um I'm really excited about it. I can't wait to see where we go from here. And yeah, I'm I'm really want to see more Joseph Morgan because especially the second episode too, phenomenal. And just his horror of him losing his mother. Um, and uh, the whole gaming pitch, which I was like, I knew this wasn't going to go well, but he, he's just such a good actor, and right. it's just so misunderstood. I think it was, was it this show that we watched, that, or did they say it in here, or just me and Jamie just talking about something different, but something about um, villains are just one uh, bad mistake or one bad day for becoming a villain. I don't think that was in the show. Yeah, it was, because they were talking about Lex Luthor. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, I mean, that's that's so true though. There's one big mistake away from becoming a villain, and it's just I, I love it, and it puts a lot of things into perspective. So, yeah. but Chris, we also watched another show this week, and we are gonna go full spoilers for this one. Um, it's Blockbuster season one launched on Netflix this week, but we did watch episode one. Um, I'm gonna pull up the cast list because it's got a lot of like Melissa Fumero is in it. Um, trying to see cast there we go so the the first episode entails the last blockbuster i wasn't i don't know what i was expecting from this show but it wasn't that they were the last blockbuster video store um, around i thought it was gonna be like set in the 90s or something where blockbuster was thriving and at its prime but they they did it this way they referenced a lot of real world stuff obviously netflix amazon um i wonder if i can do get a little synopsis from this first one. Uh, let's see. Uh, at the last blockbuster in existence, manager Timmy rallies the staff into throwing a block party to boost memberships that connect with the community. Uh, the show's got Randall Park, Alyssa Fumero, Tyler Alvarez, Olga Meredith, uh, Madeline Arthur, J.B. Smoove, which we just watched in Harley Quinn, uh, Kamaya Fairbairn, and a whole slew of other people. I'm sure there'll be some cameos uh, in the future. I wasn't that high on this. Of course, I am going to watch like two more episodes. I try again. I try to give things two to three episodes to see if I, I like it. If I'm going to stick around. I know you watched episode two as well. I'm I'm not that high on it right now. And I don't know what it is. I should like it. I love Randall Park. I love Melissa Fumero. But it just wasn't. The first episode just didn't brand me like I was hoping it would. Yeah. Anyway. I feel like I feel like they should have started a little bit before the phone call. Yeah. That Blockbuster was done. Like that could have been the end of episode call. one was the phone yeah. call. But the phone call comes at the very beginning. Yeah. And it's all this fallout. Um I have I have a little bit more that I like about it because I worked at Blockbuster, mm. so it's like nostalgia for me. Right. Um, and I can see in some of the characters 
people I worked with. <laughs> I can see in some of the, you know, there's a couple of customers that we get to meet, um, especially in, uh, the, well, there's there's the guy in the pilot mm-hmm. who uh, uh, Tim, Randall Park's character, recommends uh, Under the Tuscan Sun to because he's going through a breakup. Uh, I, I remember regular customers like that that you know would come in and they would talk with us and we knew who they were right you know and then there's a a customer in the second episode who kind of walks up and there's this discussion among the employees about something in the store and she just kind of gives her two cents Mm. on what on what they're talking about and just says she's a concerned customer and so i see little bits of that that make me think of what I experienced right. when I worked there. So for me, there's there's a quite a bit of nostalgia, uh, but I will say that yeah, you're you're right. It's it's like it's missing something, mm-hmm. and I can't quite put my finger on what it is. It's uh, it's got a really good cast. Oh yeah, the cast is great. Like I don't have a problem with it at all. And I think there's a part of me that just expects because netflix does this even well-received shows they'll cancel them after one or two years for no reason right just like okay we're done and it's like yeah so part of me doesn't want to get too invested because it is netflix and they cancel things for less (laughs) yeah yeah and i I don't even know what this one's doing i I haven't looked to see what the oh well let me tell you uh, i'm gonna go to let me see. Get out of my Twitter thing here. It's, it's a 4.9 out of 10 right now on IMDb. So Which is uh, not not the best. <laughs> not not the best. Um, you know, Paul Tassia with Forbes tweeted out this. I saved it earlier, but he, uh, I deleted it because I think we talked about it. Netflix's blockbuster is the worst reviewed show on TV right now. Uh, he goes into the article. Uh, I says, yes, we're talking about the blockbuster video, the famous U.S. chain of video rentals that was dismantled top to bottom when Netflix arrived on the scene. First with mail order, then the red box to kiosk. The, the comedy's mere existence has been thought to be in bad taste, like Netflix, like Netflix dancing on the grave of a rival, and that's certainly how the idea comes off. But it also doesn't help that blockbuster is a deeply terrible show and an unfunny comedy. Currently, both critics and audiences agree that blockbuster is pretty awful, which is something you're not likely to see a lot often in this day and age. Audience scores are a dismal 44% on Rotten Tomatoes, but still double critic scores, which are 22%. So, I mean, no no punches hold there. I I think what you were expecting would have been better for them to show the heyday of the video store. Right. Kind of give people today that stream all the time a a view into what, kind of what they're missing by not having video stores around anymore. Yeah. And go for the true nostalgia pop as opposed to to this. I mean, and they tried I, it the I first didn't... episode. Like they said, the whole community thing, which is like, even when you're sitting there talking about the stories of working there, I can remember, you know, little me going into Blockbuster every Friday night um, with my mom and brother. And we'd go and get like a movie or a video game. And like, I remember that I could, it's weird because I almost remember the smell of like Blockbusters because it's just like yeah. that smell that vinyl, plasticky boxes that VHSs and DVDs were in. And I just the lines like what came out this week and what's hot and stuff like that. You had your course, your sections, and like when I'm seeing it, I'm like, oh I man, I missed that a whole lot. Like it's and it is like a community because like you would talk to the people there, 
of what's good and recommendations and things like that. And, you know, we just don't have that. We have the algorithm from Netflix now. Yeah, and that's the big point in episode one is uh, a human can recommend things that an algorithm doesn't understand. Right. You know, so there's a place for a physical store with humans involved. Right. Um, but I didn't even, my mind didn't even go where uh, where that piece that you read went. I didn't put two and two with Netflix. Yeah. Basically had a big hand in putting Blockbuster out of business. And now and they're making a show, show about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good point. I mean, it's, that's, yeah. That's kind of dirty. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. But I'm, I'm probably going to watch, I'll do at least two more episodes. At that point, I'll be almost halfway through because it's ten episodes. So I may find the time. I got another long weekend coming up, so I'll um, probably finish it over yeah. that weekend. So we'll see. I'll, I'm going to give it two more episodes. We'll check back next week and see where we are with it and yeah. kind of go from there. Um, of course, next week we'll review Titans season four, episode three. I believe they're just doing, yeah, they're just doing one episode a piece now. Um, but until then, we got some news to hold us over. Number one, CW cancels Stargirl. We knew this was coming. It's just a matter of time. We're going to Variety.com by Joe Otterson for this news. Uh, Stargirl will come to an end at the CW season three. Variety has confirmed the DC series is currently airing its third season with the finale set to air on December 7th. This is the latest CW scripted series to announce it will come to an end following next star's completion of its acquisition of the CW in October. Um, it says Stargirl has always held a special place in my heart for many reasons, said the series creator and executive producer, Jeff Johns with all the brewing changes at the network. We were aware this was possibly the last season. So I wrote with that in mind and have delivered what I believe the best season of Stargirl yet with complete creative closure. The cast and crew were extraordinary. And I'd like to thank them for helping me bring the series to life. Brecht embodied Courtney in every way possible with grace, strength, and humor exceeding my wildest expectations. I'm grateful to WBTV and the CW for giving us a home to tell the story to honor my beloved late sister, and I'm beyond thankful to the press and fans who've always championed us for three amazing series. Most series never get this far, and we couldn't be more proud of our show and the fan community it's built. So at least that they at least they had the ending in mind when they're making this, and it shouldn't be too big of a, a cliffhanger or... You know, something where you're wanting more like Legends of Tomorrow, which is very annoying. <sighs> what do you think? Do you think that... Do you think we could see something where if... Um, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank. James Gunn. <laughs> I kept seeing him and I was like, what the hell is his name? If he really likes the character and, and the, the way that the character is portrayed, hmm. if they keep Titans going, I've got I've got some news on that here in a little bit. We'll talk about it then. Uh, next thing is the Last of Us TV show officially premieres January fifteenth on HBO Max. Of course, here on Nerdwide Podcast, we will be re- reviewing that show as it airs as well. Just a two months away before that comes out, and I'm excited. Uh, Look at that is uh, Doom Patrol ends. I mean. Yeah, this should be right around that time, if not a little bit of overlap, which I'm the- okay with. That's the day that we possibly could be recording our 100th episode. Oh, that's right. Just saying. We're going to have to do something fun for that, too, by the way. I mean, this is episode 90. We've got 10 weeks left until 100, so we're going to have to do something fun with that. Uh, 
Number three here, Aubrey Plaza is confirmed to star in Agatha Coven of Chaos. I'm going to EW.com, and this is by Devin Kogan. Uh, Aubrey Plaza is ready to cause a little chaos. EW has learned that Plaza is officially joining the MCU, starring alongside Katherine Hahn in the upcoming Disney Plus series Agatha Coven of Chaos. The show, with the spinoff from WandaVision, will once again center on Hahn's ancient with a witch, Agatha Harkness, a.k.a. Wanda Maximoff's nosy neighbor, Agnes. Details of Plaza's role are being kept under wraps, but the Covenant of Chaos cast also includes Emma Caulfield, who will be reprising her role as Dottie from WandaVision, and Heartstopper actor Joe Locke. WandaVision head writer Jake Schaefer is also back on board to write the new series. So, that's a good casting right there. I really like her a lot. Uh-huh. Um, the Sandman officially renewed for season two. Uh, nothing much more to say about that. That everyone was wondering why it wasn't getting a season two, considering how many, how much it stayed in the top ten on Netflix. But it's like we just talked about it a minute ago. Netflix just does whatever the hell they want to with their shows and whether they pick them up or not. And yep. I'm glad they're bringing it back. I don't know if I watch season two. It'll be a game time decision for me when it pops up. But as of right now, I can live without it. But it wasn't for me. Uh, but our next thing here, speaking of Netflix, Netflix has launched its $6.99 ad-supported tier, but this is what kills me. Is For some reason, I don't know why they did this way. It does not come with all of your popular shows. I'm, bringing, I'm going to Discussing Film on Twitter for this. They talked about the full story. Many shows are not available on Netflix's ad-supported tier, including The Crown, Cobra Kai, Arrested Development, Breaking Bad, The Good Place, Grey's Anatomy, House of Cards, How to Get Away with Murder, New Girl, and Peaky Blinders. I mean, a lot of the shows that people watch (laughs) to get Netflix for. I wonder if part of the reason is the homes of those shows. You know, because like, so Disney owns ABC. Right. Which... Which produced, uh, which has produced Grey's Anatomy, for instance. Good place. Uh, How to Get Away with Murder. They were on ABC yep. as well. Uh, so I wonder if they're saying no, you're not gonna put our shows on bad supported. Mm, I could see that. Uh, It'd be like a business contract maybe, thing. Yeah, maybe that has something to do with it. But it it just it makes it weird. Like, hey, you can pay less. You got to sit through ads, and you can't even watch the shows you want to watch. Right. So, uh, maybe it's maybe it is a power play like that by some of these companies where they're uh, they're trying to get their shows back mm-hmm. for their own streaming services, and they're basically going to make it hard on Netflix to offer up their programs. Yeah, it's. I just thought it was crazy. You're you're going to a cheaper ad supported tier. But you're missing a lot of your good shows. I mean, Cobra Kai is the one that stands out for me. Peaky Blinders, two of my favorite shows on Netflix. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. But I'm, I guess they're going to do what they want to do, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I could understand them maybe saying, hey, if you're ad-supported because you are paying less, uh, we're going to delay you being able to get access to a show by a week. Or right. Something like that. But to not offer it at all. It's a little weird. I don't know how I feel about that one. A little bit. 
Uh, next news thing, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II will be Wonder Man in the upcoming Disney Plus series. Again, I forgot this series was actually happening. Um, we're going to Variety.com, but Adam be very. Yahya uh, Abdul-Mateen II is set to join Disney Plus as Wonder Man as Simon Williams, who transforms into the titular superhero. It will be Abdul-Mateen's third major comic book character after playing the villain Black Manta in 2018's Aquaman and Dr. Manhattan in HBO's 2019 series Watchmen, for which he won an Emmy. He's already set to reprise Black Manta and Aquaman in The Last Kingdom, currently scheduled for Christmas 2023. Filmmaker Dustin Daniel Cretton, who directed Marvel's 2021 feature, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, is developing Wonder Man with head writer Andrew Guest from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Community as part of Cretton's overall deal with Marvel Studios and Onyx Collective. Cretton may direct as well, though he's got a crowded plate. He's already set to direct 2025's Avengers The King Dynasty and is expected to helm the unannounced Shang-Chi sequel. So, that's exciting. You don't know anything about Wonder Man, so we'll see what comes up from it. And then, Chris, here's the thing I was alluding to earlier. I'll make sure I pull this up correctly. Okay. James Gunn has officially tweeted about DC Studio Takeover as far as what he plans to do. So uh, this was earlier today, about 2 o'clock our time. Uh, he went and did like a good little five-thread tweet. But we're going to go ahead and start out. Opened up Twitter at the end of a long creative weekend to see the many tweets of hashtag save Legends of Tomorrow and hashtag release the Iyer Cut and fan support for other DC projects over the years. The majority of these requests were enthusiastic and respectful. As the new and first ever CEOs of DC Studios, Peter, Peter and I think it's most important we acknowledge you, the fans, and let you know we hear your different desires for the pathways forward for DC. Although our ability to interact on Twitter has been lessened due to the workload of our new positions, we are listening and open up everything as we embark on this journey, and we will continue to do so for the next few years. But all our initial focus on the story going forward, hammering out the new DCU, and telling the biggest story ever told across multiple films, television shows, and animated projects. We invite all of the DC fandoms from across the multiverse, and everyone else as well, into the new universe. We can't wait to reveal more. So, we get the official name of it being the DCU. So now we've got the DCU and the MCU, which is great, instead of doing the DCEU. But you know, DC, they are the CEOs of DC Studios, but it, they know everything. And I think it's funny that he makes sure to mention Save Legends of Tomorrow and the Iyer Cut, which makes me really excited. But it sounds like he's... He's acknowledging everything that's going on, but they're going to move forward with their own plan, which to each their own. You can kind of uh, depict that how you want, but I feel like he's got his head on his shoulders and he knows what he wants, him and Peter. So we'll see what happens, whether that means we get to keep Legends of Tomorrow, Titans, Doom Patrol, all of this. I don't know, but as of right now, though, it's in his hands. So if Titans and Doom Patrol gets canceled, I hope it is not. It's because it's not going forward with what he is trying to set up for the DCU, which is sucks. But I mean, I get it. It's like you can't have the MCU with the Foxes, X Men, and stuff like that. It just doesn't. It doesn't work. So, but yeah. um, you know, we'll... they're listening to the fans, but they're basically saying we have a vision. Mm -hmm. We're moving forward, with and, it. and trust us. And trust us, which didn't happen before mm -mm. with DC. It was like, we have five visions. <laughs> we have no idea 
We're just, we're winging it. <laughs> yeah, we're bouncing back and forth between those five visions. Right, and nothing's gonna make sense. So, so. I mean, it's exciting. We've got confirmation to the DCU, so DC Universe, and not uh-huh. everything out in the world. So we'll we'll see what happens with it. I hope we again. I hope we get to keep Titans and Doom Patrol, but I think odds are it's unlikely at this point. So I would like to I'd like to know about those and I'd like to know if they're planning to try and retain some of the uh some of the stars mm-hmm. in the film at this point. And just retell the stories. Right. And say, Hey, this is the definitive, this is what it is. Yeah. Uh, we'll see, man. It's I've also heard rumors of Superman and Lois is potentially on the chopping block, which Again, it makes sense with this vision they're going through because this is before, obviously, these tweets. But from what I read, the writers of Superman and Lois for season three are writing it with a not a definitive end, but with a possible end. Sounds like what they're doing with Star Girl. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of makes it kind of makes sense because if you're doing the DCU, at least to begin with, you're probably not going to acknowledge Infinite Earths, right? And so you want to have one Superman for all your projects, one Batman, one Wonder Woman, Mm -hmm. and so on. So they're probably not going to want a TV Superman. Superman. Could you imagine, though, down the line, like we get with uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, Uh and have all your Supermans on screen together and stuff like that? Like, that would just be... Like, could you think of that moment? Like, Tyler Hecklin, Brandon Ruth, like, have all of them, uh, Henry, uh, Tom uh, Cavanaugh, not Tom Cavanaugh, Tom Welling, and just could you yeah. imagine all of them and, and no, right, at, in a no way home moment? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's, I'd be okay with that if that was the end goal. Hopefully, I live that long to see that, but if they do something like that, but yeah. like, they have an Infinite Earths Avengers style movie and bring them all in. Oh, that'd be so much fun. Um, that's it for our movie TV show news this week. Friday, November the 11th, Mythic Quest Season 3 drops on Apple TV+. Plus, and that's all I've got for this week. Cool. All right. Movies are up next. And Tyler, have you watched anything else? I did. With Black Panther coming out this week, I went back to the original and watched it. Man, is that a good movie? I mean, it's it's wonderful. I got I have nothing bad to say about it. Was this your first time watching it? Oh no, uh, this is Black Panther's. Oh yes, since Chadwick Boseman died, yes, very hard. Like I mean, it's it still is hard, and I'm prepared to be wrecked on Thursday when we go and watch it. I mean, it's from what they're saying to tribute to Chadwick Boseman, anyways. I I'm fully prepared to be wrecked um, for a good portion of that movie, and. I'm getting a little emotional thinking about it, but anyways, it's it's great. Um, I I still wish they'd kept Killmonger alive, because I would have loved to have him be the new Black Panther. But then again, we never did see his dead body, so who knows if he's really dead at this point? <laughs> right, it's Marvel. If you, if you don't see the body, they're not really dead. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll I, I tell you what, I, I can bring you a, a couple packs of pocket. Next yeah, there. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, they'll probably be used. <laughs> um, all right, our movie review this week for each show: the original 
not the uh, Shutter TV series. I've not watched that yet, but I've heard it's pretty good. Um, so this was my, I don't know how many viewings. <laughs> I was going to guess, but I don't know. This was your first. Yes. Um, so what I'll do here, because this is a, another anthology film. Um, I'm going to run down the basic plot. Well, it's going to be a little bit more than basic. But since it's an anthology, I'm going to stop after each section and we'll talk about okay. that particular section. Because it's going to be too difficult to give our thoughts on the individual stories after I've read through everything. Um, so I'm going to Wikipedia, actually, for the breakdown here and the plot. So I don't miss anything. I shouldn't. I've seen it so many times, but <laughs> I want to be sure because I want your reaction on stuff that you may want to touch on. Uh, so we kick off with the opening of the film. And by the way, before we get into it, Stephen King and George Romero um, helm this project. Stephen King stars in one of these stories. Mm, I thought that was him. Yeah. And uh, but he here we go with the prologue, the, the basic little uh, wraparound, if you will, that holds all the stories together. Billy Hopkins, a young boy, gets disciplined by his abusive father, Stan, for reading a creep show horror comic. Not wanting his son to be exposed to the comic's content, Stan throws it in the garbage. As Billy sits upstairs wishing his father rots in hell, he hears a sound at the window. The source of the noise turns out to be the creep, the host of the comic book who beckons him to come closer and removes the trash can's lid. Creepy. <laughs> it's funny because this is like the early 80s and you have a kid sitting there wishing his his uh, mm -hmm. his uh, father uh, would rot in hell because he can't read a comic book. Mm. And I mean, granted, he's he, he is abusive. He's you, you can tell. Yeah, the, there's a lot of things he says. Yeah. There's definitely something there. Yeah, uh, but it's still for the time that had to be uh, that had to stand out a little bit. Yeah, oh no, the, the, this whole film would have stand out to me in 1982. 1982. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I've always thought the creep looked really good. I mean, you got mm -hmm. all all of the 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 creepy stuff looked really good. Like the 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 next one, not to jump ahead, the zombie was really well done. Like the, his voice yeah. was perfect. Um, yeah. Like a lot of that kind of stuff was really really well done, especially for practical. Yeah, yeah, because back then there wasn't a. I don't think they had any kind of CG mm -mm. In, in any version of it. So, yeah, very very cool. Uh, the first story was Father's Day. Sylvia Grantham meets her nephew Richard and niece Cass, along with Cass's new husband Hank. I already don't like him. His name's Hank. <laughs> At the Grantham estate for the family's annual dinner on the third Sunday in June, they proceed to tell Hank about the family matriarch, Great Aunt Bedelia, and how it's an open secret in the family she murdered her late father. The miserly and domineering Nathan Grantham, who had accumulated the family's fortune through bootlegging, fraud, extortion, and murder for hire. He's a solid guy. 
Many years earlier, Bedelia was rendered an unstable spinster, the result of a lifetime spent putting up with her father's incessant demands and emotional abuse, which got even worse after he suffered a stroke and she was made to nurse him full-time. The torture culminated with Nathan orchestrating a fatal hunting accident, which took the life of his daughter's fiancé, Peter Yarbrough, in order to keep her under his thumb. That Father's Day, Bedelia, driven into a murderous rage by Nathan's constant insults and his petulant demands for his cake, <laughs> bashed her overbearing father's head in with a marble ashtray that is hidden throughout all the other stories. I did not know that. Yeah. In the present day, Bedelia arrives hmm. at Grantham Manor that evening. She stops by the family cemetery just outside the mansion to lay a flower at her father's grave. She drunkenly reminisces about the murder and reveals Sylvia staged the killing as an accident in order to steal and distribute Nathan's fortune among the rest of the family. She accidentally spills her whiskey bottle in front of the headstone. Just then, Nathan's reanimated, putrefied, maggot-infested corpse... Good lord, just put every descriptor on there. <laughs> Still demanding the Father's Day cake he never got. He avenges himself on Bedelia, strangling her. He proceeds to systematically wipe out the rest of the family, telekinetically crushing Hank to death with a gravestone. Horrifying. Neck. Yeah, he also kills Mrs. Danvers, the Grantham's cook, possibly just to cover his tracks. As a gruesome final joke, Nathan surprises Cass and Richard by presenting them with his Father's Day cake, Sylvia's <laughs> severed head covered with frosting and lit candles. While the ending is left ambiguous in the film, with Nathan gloating over a terrified Cass and Richard in freeze frame, the comic book based on the film has the creep giving a vague hint that Nathan's next act was to blow out their candles. Oh, that's cool. I like that description. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, I like this one. This one was pretty cool. I think we could have... Because this is like our first story to, into the movie. Uh-huh. And... I was like, I wasn't expecting it to... I knew it was going to have different stories, but I wasn't expecting it to be cut up like it was. Like, I didn't get a nice little bow at the end of each story. Like, it was just kind of done. Um, favorite kill was the horrifying one, whereas... I forget, wasn't, that's not Hank, is it? Um, in the graveyard? In the graveyard. He's just... Yeah. yeah he's just laying there, and then just... The tombstone just moves. I was like, dude, you got to do something. But I was like, well, if he got up, it would make it move faster. And I, I think that's what he was thinking as well, because like it moved again, and he would like, kind of look, and then he'd place his hand on uh, the aunt's dead body. And I was like, okay, this is... And then it just topples over, and then the zombie just kind of walks out. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the image at the end with her head on the platter. Yeah. And Do you want cake? <laughs> Yeah, the voice is so, it's so good. That's what I said the whole time. I said, I re- they did a really good job with his voice. Yeah. Like, it was very creepy, but like, it, like you don't get that with the zombies now. I mean, zombies aren't really talking, our modern day stuff, but yeah. like, it was very, very well done. Yeah, there's, there's the gurgle in mm-hmm. there. You know, you, you got to think his, his vocal cords have disintegrated to some degree. Right. But yeah. Very, very cool. This next story was the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill. Mm. And this is the one that stars Stephen King. This was, has always been one of my, fa- <laughs> one of my favorites. Uh, Jordy Verrill, a comedic and dim-witted backwoods yokel, watches as a meteorite crash lands on his farm. Observing the crash site, Jordy gets his fingers burned when he tries to touch the meteorite, because he's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> 
In a fantasy sequence, Jordy imagines selling the meteorite to the local college's Department of Meteors, hoping that the sale will provide enough money to pay off a $200 bank loan. Taking precautions, he douses the meteorite with a bucket of water, causing it to crack open and spill a glowing blue liquid. In another fantasy sequence, Jordy imagines the Department of Meteors refusing to purchase the now broken meteorite. Resolving to try and glue the halves together in the morning, Jordy nonchalantly dumps the liquid inside the meteor into the soil, but not before the substance makes contact with his skin. As time passes, Jordy finds his fingers being overcome by what appears to be grass. He attempts to call a doctor, but he reconsiders doing so when he imagines in another fantasy <laughs> the doctor will chop the afflicted fingers off without anesthetic. Over time, the strange substance continues to grow all over Jordy's farm and everything Jordy has touched, and even on his body, which causes him to itch furiously. Jordy panics as he discovers the increasing growth and tries to calm himself by pouring himself a bottle of vodka and mixing it with orange juice. Soon after, Jordy falls asleep in a drunken stupor. He wakes up some time later, believing the experience to have been a dream, but his hopes are dashed when he sees the plant growth has managed to reach inside the house as well as discovering in a mirror he's now grown a green beard. He starts to draw a bath to relieve the itching, but is visited by the ghost of his deceased father, who appears in his mirror and warns him against doing so by telling him water is what the plants want. Grimly rationalizing that not getting in would only delay the inevitable, Jordy laments he's a goner already. When the itching from the growth on his skin becomes unbearable, he succumbs to temptation and collapses into the bathwater. The next morning, Jordy's farm has been completely coated with dense layers of the alien vegetation, with Jordy himself transformed into a human-shaped collection of plant matter. In despair, he reaches for a coach gun, prays to God that his luck will be in just this once, and blows the top of his own head off, killing himself. <laughs> and then just zooms out, and there's just plant life everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, it does note immediately afterwards, of course, a TV weather forecast announces moderate temperatures and heavy rains predicted. The implication being this will accelerate the spread of the extraterrestrial plant growth to mm. surrounding areas and continue to the point where the Earth may be terraformed into an entirely green planet. See, I didn't even pick up on that. That's smart. So, this was this was always a fun. I think it's just the novelty too of seeing Stephen King act, mm -hmm. which we're not used to. Not just being just a writer. Yeah, but uh, there's the. I, I remember the first time watching this, and when he he gets the he has like a couple of blisters on mm -hmm. his finger, and he goes to. He starts his sucking his back. Like I was like, yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> no, like, that's, not, that's not smart. No. <laughs> No, but it, it's a really good segment. I don't think it tops Father's Day. Mm, not for me. I think Father's Day is better. Um, but I think the novelty of Stephen King being in it yeah. is what bumps it up. Uh, the next one, this this is one that's uh, another favorite because this one stars Ted Danson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Leslie Nielsen. What's crazy, because I didn't recognize that was Ted Danson until I pulled up IMDb for this. I was like, really? Oh, I guess I just, I just guess I just didn't put it together. I've always seen him as the gray-haired uh, with glasses. That's all I've always known him as. Yeah. So so, so you weren't someone that watched Cheers and stuff uh -huh. like that. And, but uh, so. Nielsen I knew. So yeah. I was really excited to see him in this. 
you'd probably only seen him in like over the top comedy stuff, mm -hmm. right? like the Naked Gun movies and stuff like that. Right. So yeah, this was called Something to Tide You Over. Richard Vickers, which is uh, the Leslie Nielsen character, is a vicious and heartless millionaire whose spry jocularity belies his cold-blooded, murderous nature. He visits Harry Wentworth, the man with whom his wife Becky is having an affair. Ted Danson is, is Harry. Uh, Richard mentions he and Becky never shared any actual affection, but such is, but such is beside the issue. Richard's point of honor is always keeping what's his, a role he enforces no matter what. Rather than physically assault Harry, Richard plays a recording of Becky's voice where she tearfully begs Harry to help her. Both men travel to Comfort Point, Richard's isolated beach house. Richard points out what appears to be a burial mound in the sand. When Harry promptly runs to it, Richard pulls a gun on him. He forces Harry to jump into the empty hole and begin burying himself. Eventually, Richard finishes burying Harry neck deep in the sand below the high tide line. Richard then sets up a closed-circuit TV camera and a VCR to record Harry. He also brings along a monitor, displaying Becky, who's also buried up to her neck further down the beach, where the rising tide is already washing over her face. Richard does tell Harry he and Becky have a chance of survival, if they can hold their breath long enough for the sand to loosen once the seawater covers them, they can break free and escape. With that, Richard abandons Harry and returns to Comfort Point. Sipping a cocktail, he watches with great satisfaction as Harry and Becky slowly drown. Just before Harry is completely submerged by the advancing tide, he looks directly into the camera and vows revenge on Richard. Hours later, Richard returns to Harry's grave to collect the tape. He finds the ruined monitor, but no sign of Harry. Not disturbed, Richard writes this off as the body having been carried away by the current. Later that night, Richard hears voices calling his name. As a mysterious, unseen presence easily bypasses Comfort Point's extensive security system. The culprits turn out to be Harry and Becky, the two lovers having returned as waterlogged, seaweed-covered revenants intent on revenge on their killer. Richard shoots them, but when the bullets have no effect, he barricades himself in his bedroom, only to find Becky and Harry already inside. The two victims taunt Richard, who laughs insanely. Sometime later, the undead lovers have buried Richard up to his neck on the beach. They've since disappeared together into the surf, leaving Richard's own seaweed-covered video camera to record his coming demise. As the approaching tide proceeds to drown him, the hysterical Richard screams he can hold his breath for a long time. <laughs> End of That's it. I think this one was my favorite out of the whole movie. And yeah. I don't know why. It was just very... I felt like it was a very open and shut uh, chapter. Mm -hmm. And it, um, I don't know, it's just really good. Like, I mean, uh, Harry and, and Leslie Nielsen just did such a good job of this one. I mean, it's just basically those two. And at the end, I think this was the only one that kind of creeped me out a little bit out of all of them yeah. was this one. And because um, the other ones were fine, but besides the, the book one. But this one, like with the ghost, like, and, like when he would look through the cameras and stuff, it was just a fog. And then like on camera, you just like a fog it was hazy. And then when you looked at in real life, it was actually them. I thought it was really cool, really well done. And when they got shot, like just the, the seawater coming out of the bullet holes and just gushing, just grossed us. I loved it. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yep. That was, uh, and, and like I said, most people these days have not seen Leslie Nielsen in serious roles. Mm -hmm. 
in, in something like this. They see him in the Naked Gun movies and being really goofy. And this is really enjoyable, I think, in part because of that. Right. Next up, we had the crate. Mm-hmm. This was my second. Uh, like if if the one we the one we just talked about wasn't it, it would have been the crate. I really like this one yeah. too. Yeah, this one's really good. So Mike Latimer, a janitor at Horlicks University, drops a quarter he was flipping, which rolls behind a grate under a basement staircase. While attempting to retrieve the coin, he comes across a wooden storage crate marked "Ship to Horlicks University" via Julia Carpenter, Arctic Expedition, June 19, 1834, hidden underneath the staircase. He calls Professor Dexter Stanley to notify him of the discovery, drawing Dexter away from a faculty social gathering. Also at the gathering are Dexter's best friend, the mild-mannered Professor Henry Northrup, and Henry's perpetually drunk, obnoxious, and emotionally abusive wife, Wilma, or Billy, who has a penchant for embarrassing herself, belittling her husband, and annoying or insulting everybody she meets. Henry regularly fantasizes about killing his horrific wife, but is far too timid to actually go through with it. Stanley meets Mike at Amberson Hall, where the former discovers the crate. Both men move the crate into a nearby biology lab where they tirelessly work to get it open. In the process, Mike sticks his hand inside the crate and begins yelling in pain. The crate opens to reveal its contents, a shaggy, ape-like creature with sharp fangs. Despite its diminutive size, the creature promptly kills and devours Mike whole, leaving behind only his mangled boot. Fleeing the lab, Dexter bumps into graduate student Charlie Garrison, to whom he frantically relays what happened. While skeptical, Charlie agrees to investigate the professor's claims. The two find the lab covered in blood with no sign of the creature or its crate. They discover the crate has been moved back under the stairs, where they also discover Mike's boot. Wanting to measure the bite marks on the boot, Charlie examines the crate closer. The creature pounces on Charlie and kills him, prompting Dexter to escape and take the boot with him. Traumatized and hysterical, Dexter runs to Henry's house after Wilma leaves for the evening. He tells Henry everything that happened since the crate was discovered and insists the monster must be disposed of somehow. Seeing the supposed creature as an ideal way to rid himself of his wife, as you do, Henry, <laughs> Henry appears to believe Dexter's story. To this end, Henry spikes Dexter's drink with sleeping pills and writes a note stating Dexter had supposedly assaulted a female student. This brings Wilma rushing to Amberson Hall, where, he where Henry has since cleaned up the bloody lab. When Wilma arrives, Henry lures her under the basement stairs, trying to awaken the creature. As Wilma rants at Henry for dragging her out there in the middle of the night and assaulting her, the beast awakens and proceeds to eat her. The next morning, Henry tells Dexter he secured the beast inside its crate and dumped the crate into a nearby quarry, watching as it sank to the bottom. He convinces Dexter the creature has drowned, both men agree to let the authorities handle the disappearances. Unknown to Henry and Dexter, the beast is shown to still be alive and is last seen tearing the submerged crate apart. Another good one. Like, it was it was horrifying. It, it was a Yeti, right? Is what essentially what this was. Because, like, they, the box had Antarctica. So well, the like, Yetis, Yetis are supposed to be, like, the size oh, of a big... Bucket. Yeah, touche. So, I mean... It was definitely but something. He, it was creepy. <laughs> he could have been a uh, a runt yeti. Yeah, just a baby. But the visual effects for this one are also very good. 
Like when he uh-huh. called the what's his name across the face and across the chest, it was just this big blood mess. I was like, yeah, this show, this movie's good. Like with the with yeah. all the effects with it, and just especially because it's not CGI; it's all practical. And I just I thought it was very well done. Yeah, the effects on this have always been uh, have always been really good. Um, so it's this was probably I'd say this one probably comes in for me around third mm. third favorite of the of the stories that we get, um, and we've only got. I think one more and then the epilogue. Right. So this last one is they're creeping up on you. I did not like this one. <laughs> I did not like this one. Especially trying to eat while we're watching this. Oh, you were yeah, I was eating some pizza while I watched this. I said, okay, all right. <laughs> did, it, did, it have little, did it have little black olives on it? Nope. I don't know. It was just oh. Nashville hot chicken pizza, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Way to represent. Right. Um, Upson Pratt is a ruthlessly cruel business mogul who suffers from mysophobia, which has rendered him living in a hermetically sealed penthouse apartment outfitted with electric locks and surveillance cameras. His apparent contacts with the outside world are through the telephone and are primarily made to put upon employees. One stormy night, Pratt receives a call from George Gendron, one of his subordinates, about the fact his company, Pratt International, has recently instigated a corporate takeover of the Pacific Aerodyne Company. Gendron also informs Mr. Pratt the takeover caused a business rival, Norman Kastenmeyer, to commit suicide, much to Pratt's delight. During the call, Pratt slowly begins finding <laughs> that, that was, sorry, I wanted to stop you there. That was rough. Because he said, oh, we don't have to buy him out anymore. I was like, okay, all right. It just yeah. really set this guy's character up. <laughs> in, one, in one line. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> During the call, Pratt slowly begins finding cockroaches around his apartment. Being a fanatical insect hater, Pratt arms himself with bug spray in an attempt to combat the insects. Before long, someone manages to get through on Pratt's private line. The caller turns out to be Norman Kastenmeyer's widow, Lenore, who tearfully recalls her husband's final moments and curses Pratt for causing his death. After finding pieces of cockroaches in his food processor, Pratt receives a call from his building superintendent, Carl Reynolds, currently on vacation in Orlando. Despite his vacation, Pratt forces Reynolds to send the building's handyman, Mr. White, to call an exterminator under the threat of firing him. Soon after, Pratt discovers more cockroaches in a box of cereal, trying and failing to crush any that he can. Mr. White soon arrives outside Pratt's door and tells him, speaking in a stereotypical minstrel voice to mock him, he's calling a fumigation service. A rolling blackout then heads towards the building, and during the blackout, cockroaches numbering in the hundreds of thousands begin pouring out of every nook and cranny in Pratt's apartment. As the insects overwhelm Pratt, he activates the emergency power and attempts to call the police for assistance. The police are unfortunately unable to be of any help because of the blackout, nor is Mr. White, who's stuck in the elevator. At his wit's end, Pratt locks himself inside a climate-controlled panic room to escape the growing swarm of cockroaches. He gets... He gets, to, uh, he gets to get another call from Lenore, who continues to curse at him. It's during this call that Pratt finds his bed covers wriggling and removes them to discover the cockroaches have already invaded the panic room. With no way for Pratt to escape, the cockroach swarm charges at him, which, inclu- which induces a fatal heart attack. 
When electricity returns to the building, the apartment is utterly devoid of cockroaches. Pratt's corpse is shown in the panic room as Mr. White calls in to report. When he gets no answer, Mr. White mockingly asks Pratt, Bugs got your tongue? <laughs> Pratt's body soon begins to contort as cockroaches burst out of his mouth and chest, re-enveloping the panic room. Disgusting. Mr. Mr. White continues to call Pratt's name to get a response, then calls him a bastard when he gets no answer. Mm-mm. I mean, he got everything that was coming to him, but that was, this was a rough one. <laughs> yeah, if, if you hate bugs, this is not yeah. for you. Yeah, it was, it was not okay. <laughs> but, uh, again, really, really great effect. I think mm -hmm. this, is, this is Tom Savini, I think, that did these. So, um, and then finally the epilogue. The next morning, two garbage collectors find the Creepshow comic book on the curb. They look at the ads in the book for x-ray specs and the Charles Atlas bodybuilding course. They also see the advertisement for the voodoo doll that was briefly glimpsed earlier, but lament the order form has already been redeemed. Inside the Hopkins house, Stan complains to his wife he's suffering from a stiff neck, figuring he must have strained it. Upstairs, Billy's revealed to have sent away for the voodoo doll and has decorated it with a piece of his father's clothing and some of his hair. Stan clutches his throat in pain as Billy repeatedly and gleefully jabs the voodoo doll with a pen, finally getting revenge on his father for his abuse. <laughs> the images of Billy jabbing the doll become the cover of the next issue of Creepshow. The creep is seen holding the same comic book, laughing sinisterly as a candle goes out. Very cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I... This is... This, for me, before Trick or Treat came out, was undoubtedly my favorite horror anthology. Um, it still might be, but there's it's like a 1A, 1B for me now with uh, Trick or Treat. Mm. Yeah, Trick or Treat, I'm still, that's still my favorite. I mean, there's just, at this point, I don't think there is going to be anything that's like a classic like that. Uh, Maybe the scream. Like I think scream is my favorite. I don't know how, what horror. Not really horror movie, but horror thriller. I guess. I think the original scream is up there. Uh, obviously, trick or treat scream. <sighs> I don't know what my top three would be. I think though, I wish I had kept the the list of all these movies. But I think it was a solid year for our Halloween Halloween watchathon. And I, and I do enjoy, I don't know how you feel about it, but I do enjoy starting in September because we have more to watch and more, because there's, there's, you know, hundreds of horror Halloween movies. So, but I, I enjoy this one. Yeah, this is, uh, for me, this is a five star. Mm. I, don't I, know think, I think I gave it three or three and a half, I think is what it was. So, still good. So trick, just, just trick or treat easily. Yeah. Best of the best, the best so far. So. <laughs> All right. Next week, we have Black Panther Wakanda Forever. We're going to see that on Thursday night. Yes. And then um, the week after that, we're going to review the new Enola Holmes. I'm so excited. I'm going to watch that again that week, too. So yeah. I'm going to be caught up on it. Because technically, yeah, it comes out in two weeks, not this week. So oh, I'm so excited. In movie news, we have one story from Deadline. Anthony D'Alessandro and uh, 
it involves DC. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. Um, in the near future, it's pretty simple with what the new Warner Brothers Discovery will zero in on. We're going to have a real focus on franchises. President and CEO David Zaslav said on this afternoon's Q3 earnings call. We haven't had a Superman movie in 13 years. Which, which is Tyler's nuts. Fully aware of. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't had a Harry Potter movie in 15 years. Yep. Eh. Um, <laughs> the, the DC movies and the Harry Potter movies provided a lot of profits to Warner Brothers motion pictures over the last 25 years. He continued. Recently, Henry Cavill announced he was reprising his role as the Man of Steel after making a cameo in Black Adam. However, there are no details on a Superman sequel script or director. Um, House of the Dragon is a big example of their franchise goals. Game of Thrones taking advantage of sex in the city, Lord of the Rings. We still have the right to do the Lord of the Rings movies, Zaslav noted, but he did not call out New Line's upcoming The Lord of the Rings, The War of the the War of the Rohirrim, due out in April, on April the 12th, 2024. You focus on the big movies, the tent poles that people are going to leave home, leave early from dinner to see, said, Zas said Zaslav, emphasizing how big picks make two or three times more in the U.S. Then slamming direct-to-streaming movies, a plan executed under the former warmer media regime, Zaslav said, we learned what doesn't work this is what doesn't work for us based on everything we've seen direct to streaming movies so spending a billion dollars or collapsing a motion picture window into a streaming service the movies that we launch in theater do significantly better and launching a two-hour 40-minute movie direct to streaming has done nothing for hbo max in terms of viewership retention or love of the service he also said the entire library shouldn't be on hbo max and paid for by hbo max we have an extraordinary library, Friends, Big Bang Theory, Two and a Half Men. There's 15 or 20 series that are loved and nourishing the audience on a regular basis. But then there's a huge number of series of movies not being used at all. It's a, um, it's a good point. It, so, invoking Harry Potter, though, I you've only got so many books in the yeah. Harry Potter I mean, you can't really just... I mean, you've seen what they've done going off script for uh, Fantastic yeah. Beast, and they aren't doing well, but a lot of that is from the whole Johnny Depp thing, the whole uh, J.K. Rowling being transphobe and homophobe and stuff yeah. like that. So, I mean, that's not that's not working with you there either. Yeah. But, I mean, I understand where he's, he's coming from, though. He's like, look, these big franchises, we haven't had movies in almost two decades. And... Yeah. This is what WB does and promote does well. So why aren't we doing stuff with that? And I agree with them there. Uh, the whole not putting stuff on HBO Max and stuff like that. I'm like, eh. I mean, they see the numbers, we don't. But that's especially during the pandemic where that became popular. I really don't think you can compare between theaters and dropping on HBO Max. No, and then even looking at something like, you know, for me, for instance, the week that I had this week. Uh, I didn't have time to go to a theater and watch it. Right. So, but I did have some time when I got in at night to watch something, potentially. Mm -hmm. You know, if there was something that they had dropped that I really wanted to see, I would have taken the time to have watched it. So, and you don't have to go know, anywhere and do that and then come all the way back home and you should do it from the comfort of your house. Right. I mean, well, and also, you know, he says it's not. It's not retaining people for HBO Max. 
kind of is. Right. If I wasn't able to watch shows like Titans and Doom Patrol and, you know, I'm not going to have the service. Right. If there's, if there's nothing there to interest me, I'm not going to have it. I'm going to save that money. For the for the older shows like Big Bang Theory, I've got that on physical media. I've got the whole series on Blu-ray. I don't need his service to right. watch it. But so it's a I lot easier, though, just to click on an app and then go into the episode. It's easier, but I get better quality off the disc. Touche. So, I, you know, I, I'll take the better quality if it means I have to get up every, you know, three hours. Right. <laughs> Replace the disc. <laughs> oh. I think in a, he's right in the way. I think with a property like Superman, you definitely want movies made quicker. Correct. But... I think he's missing the mark on some other stuff. I think he's going to end up. I think DC, with the people they put in charge, will start succeeding. Mm-hmm. And then I think he'll be out on his butt because the other stuff's going to collapse because he's he's not respecting it. Right. So. Anyway, releases this week. There's only one. In cinemas. November the 11th. Actually, the night of the 10th, right? Mm-hmm. What was it, the 10th? Uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. The end of Phase 4. As Tyler indicated, bring your tissues. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a good one. I don't. I, I think we'll get some little snippets of comedy like we do at MCU, but I think this will be one of those ones we don't get I mean, the first one wasn't that comedy heavy, but you still had your jokes and quips in there. But I feel like with this one, it's going to be a lot toned down and more actiony and um, tribute heavy than the previous ones. I will say this though, for those people wondering, I don't know if they've leaked yet. You can tell from the latest preview that the new Black Panther definitely is female. Yeah. Well, they've, I've seen some things I don't know what to believe anymore, but a lot of the actress, actors and actresses are like, no, you, people are guessing who it is and things like that. And there's like, there's nobody right yet, which I'm like, which makes me think, but that also could be people like, oh, you know, you think, you know, but you don't know, but you really do know kind of scenario. I think what we see is a, a different people taking up the mantle before they decide on who officially is at the end of the movie. I think 100% we get Shuri as some form. Unfortunately, in some form is Black Panther. But I don't think she'll be the Black Panther by the time the movie's over. So I'd like to be proven wrong, or not be proven wrong, but we'll see. And you might be right. Maybe Killmonger is resurrected. God, I, or not really dead. He's just been kind of in the background. Yeah kind of licking his wounds mm-hmm. he rises back up and takes mm-hmm. the mantle you know changes his the way he's thought he's like, oh you know we have you know put everything out in the world like we're supposed to and changes his his pace so we'll see chris have you been playing anything this week i got a little bit of diamond dynasty in and i got uh, some madden franchise mm. and then I've, of course i've continued playing snap it's addicting dude it's so addicting it's just so easy game of the year right there um i've been playing a lot of call of duty 
like a lot. I caught up what I was trying to do in uh, Destiny, so I'm pretty much done with that into the next season. Uh, but Call of Duty just got that God's calls in me right now. Like it reminds me of playing it back in the day when I was young in high school. It's just got the same Call of Duty feel. The lobby is the same. Everyone's trash talking each other's mothers, siblings. It's just nostalgic, I guess. But that's what I've been playing. But this week I'll be playing something different and a lot of time consuming because I don't want to get spoiled. But one news story this week, PSVR 2 will officially launch on February 22nd, 2023, and we got a price. We're going to playstationblog.com for this one by Isabel Tomatis, Vice President of Brand Hardware and Peripherals at SIE. Over the past several months, we've introduced PSVR 2 and provided glimpses of the next generation of virtual reality gaming, which will allow you to escape into new worlds while feeling a groundbreaking sense of immersion. Today, I'm very pleased to announce that PlayStation VR 2 is officially launching February 22nd, 2023. PlayStation VR 2 Sense Controller charging station designed specifically for the PSVR 2 Sense Controller will also launch the same day. And here is the pricing. Just the PlayStation VR 2, uh, which includes the headset, the controllers, and headphones, $550. Yes, Chris, more than the PlayStation 5 itself. Uh, and then they're also doing bundles for $599. You get the Horizon Call of the Mountain bundle, um, and then you get different uh, charging stations for the controller, which is $50. But the big story is 550 US dollars for this. And I'm like, no. I'm sorry. I'm not anywhere interested in this. So I've got my quest. And so you weren't a you weren't a fan of the uh, the first one. No. It, the Twin Courts. I still have it hooked up upstairs and it's been I played the very beginning of the year. I think for like Beat Saber or something like that. But this still has one core to it, whereas the other one had like two or three cores that connected everything. But the quest that you can move around to whatever you want to with has got zero cores. So I mean, why? You buy the quest for I think it's like two hundred bucks now. And this one for five hundred and fifty dollars does not include any games. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm good. And you have to have the PlayStation Five to run it. So I mean it's a thousand and fifty dollars, give or take, right then and there. Without any game. Without any else. games or anything, go with it. Now, if 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 they had a bundle including, say, two games and your controllers and your charging port, everything for five fifty, that's probably not bad. Yeah, that's that not too terribly bad. Yeah. You're probably paying about four for the device itself. Mm-hmm. Three fifty to four. So, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Just. Whatever, you know. I'm curious to see how many it actually sells and how well it does if it come They're February. It right time for Christmas, so yeah. well, a little after. Yeah. But, you know, if, if if you give your uh, your gamer and your family a uh, gift card, with that is the purpose. Right. Maybe, but it's uh, that's it's a rough one for me. No to releases yeah. this week. We've got Sonic Frontiers, a new open-world Sonic game for everything, coming out November 8th. God of War Ragnarok for PlayStation 5 and 4th on November 9th. Dying Light 2, Stay Human, Bloody Ties, their first DLC for everything but the Switch on November 10th. Still haven't finished that game. 
But ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for watching and listening to this episode of the Nerdwad Podcast. We finally finished up our Halloween watch-along movie-thon for 2022. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, next year we'll come back and do it again, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for so much for watching the Nerdwad Podcast. Don't forget to share on all your favorite social media platforms, and forget to rate and review on whatever podcasting service you use. Social media, you can follow Nerdwide at Twitter, at nerd underscore wide. You can follow Ty, me personally at Ty underscore Haynes. And you can follow Chris at MavTN7. On the Facebook side of things, go to facebook.com in the search bar, search in Nerdwide Podcast, or just Nerdwide. Be the first things that pop up. Following us on social media is the first way to know when our episodes go live and drop. But ladies and gentlemen, that has been this week's episode of the Nerdwide Podcast, and we cannot wait to talk about Black Panther Wakanda Forever next week with you all then.